Hello, my friends, and welcome back. Episode 7. My guest today is the Grammy Award-winning mastering engineer and owner of Infrasonic Mastering with studio locations in Nashville, Tennessee, and Los Angeles, California. If you've ever listened to Chris Stapleton, Jason Isbell, Brandy Carlisle, Sturgill Simpson, John Prine, Weezer, Panic at the Disco, Tanya Tucker, including who you're listening to right now, Hollander. The list goes on. I'm pretty sure everything I've ever cared about in music, he's touched. And uh, we sat down for a conversation in his beautiful Nashville studio with some of the finest tequila. We chatted about his early years playing in punk rock bands, finding his way into the art of mastering, and eventually moving his business and family out to Nashville. I'm so incredibly grateful for the opportunity to be welcomed in his studio and for the great time we had, and I hope you all really enjoy. Please welcome my next guest and my friend, Mr. Pete Lyman. this to a click track <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah the whole time you gotta hut, talk hut, hut. <laughs> i'm really big on cadence yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh that's awesome i listened to the episode you did with hollander it was cool yeah, well that was so that was, that the, was very the first, first one, one. Yeah, yeah i wanted to i wanted to listen to that because i i keep seeing i keep seeing that you were i keep kept seeing yeah. it on instagram and it's like i have so little time to listen to anything other than what's coming out of here right and i'm and sure I that once, once you leave here too you're like i don't want to listen to anything well, the funny thing is I want to listen to this sort of thing now. So I'm, I've been listening yeah. to more podcasts and uh, NPR and shit like that because yeah. I'm fucking boring. But, yeah. you know, and that's it's really I when I drive, I don't really listen to anything else. Yeah. At this point, um, which is it's kind of funny. is like even talking about it's about how I kind of started doing this. Even is I had friends and stuff that are like, dude, you really should like think about doing something like this. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. And then after I did, it took a long road trip for like two weeks. And after that, I was like, all right, I'm going to. Start cranking it. Yeah, when you listen to a ton of podcasts on the road, and you're like, man, yeah, you you, you you feel there's a void when you're like looking through the shit you want to listen to. And right, when I've already listened to everything. Yep, and I'm like looking for something. Yep, exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Good for you, man. Yeah, it's been cool. But sweet. All right, well, we're all we're all set. Nice. Um, so we're here at Infrasonic Sound. You go so do you typically go by infrasonic sounds or infrasonic mastering? Um usually infrasonic mastering these days. Yeah. So for years, uh we originally when we originally started, um my ex partner and I um owned a recording studio as well. Mm. So we had a recording facility, mastering facility. So it's sort of just we usually it's kind of interchangeable, but yeah. infrasonic mastering. So we're not doing any actual recording. Yeah, anymore. yeah. Yeah. Right. So um, I think it'd be cool is that, I mean, like, obviously, like, I went and I was just curious to see, like, what kind of podcasts and things or, like, interviews and stuff you had done prior. And they're all, like, super nerd gearheads yeah, and stuff like yeah. that. Uh, but so I would say that it'd be cool to kind of just start at maybe, like, a ground level of just kind of, uh, like, what you do, what mastering is, and, and for, like, the kind of ground level artists, because I feel like when the topic of mastering comes up, everyone kind of views it as this like voodoo black magic that kind of. Yeah, sure. So, um, find a good place to start here. I guess I could, (laughs) I could give you a little background on, on 
how I started and yeah, where absolutely, I came from. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I got interested in mastering a little over 20 years ago, and my background prior to that, um, I'm 46 years old. I, I grew up uh, since the age of 14 playing in punk rock bands, essentially, and um, that's what I always, that was always my focus, was being a musician, uh, you know, doing records, touring, uh, played in a bunch of different different bands over the years and in in the 90s i was kind of on like this cycle of of touring with whatever little you know indie band i was in and leading my alternative life of a it manager (laughs) so i worked for a bunch of large uh it telecom companies and one of the companies i worked for at the time I was living in, in Boulder, Colorado, one of the companies I was working for relocated to Sacramento and they gave me an offer to relocate. That was 1996. And I jumped at it thinking, Oh, it's going to be great. I'm going to be so close to the Bay area. Mm. But after getting there, realizing living in Sacramento is just far enough away that it's a pain in the ass to actually spend yeah. any time in the Bay area. And, uh, Sacramento is a fucking hellhole where, uh, Sack of excrementos yeah. is how I refer to it. <laughs> I lived there for six months and then transferred my job to uh, to the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. So I moved. I lived in Alameda on the island there for a long time. Loved it. Lived in Oakland. Lived in Berkeley. And then um, in early 2000, moved to Los Angeles. So at that time, I was playing in a in kind of a post-punk band called subpoena the past with my buddy Sonny, who ran a label called gold standard labs oh no way and uh i did a bunch of i was in a bunch of bands with him i was in a band called year future um after that but um we all planned on relocating from oakland to los angeles and the day we moved the band broke up oh, no. i was like well fuck it let's move and um you know being a kind of it nerd and, and being into computers from um an early age got me interested in digital recording and I was messing around with four tracks before that and spent enough time in the studio that I thought like, you know, I really want to start recording my own projects. So moving to LA in that first year, I moved there with all this gear. I was playing drums at the time, but drums and synth and electronic Mm -hmm. drums in this band. And I decided I'm going to start recording my own stuff in my, in, in my uh, little apartment. And that kind of really kickstarted the recording. And around that time, I met a mastering engineer named Richard Simpson, who I met through Sonny. We were we were having lunch one day, and he uh, needed to get a record mastered. And I'm trying to remember exactly what it was. It was so long ago, but yeah. we end up I end up meeting Richard Simpson, seeing my first lacquer cut. And it just blew my mind. <laughs> and he was so cool. He let me was up in his business right there at the lathe, watching yeah. the whole thing go down. And we sort of hit it off while I was there. And a couple of days later, I just went back and begged him, like, whatever I can do. Yeah. I've told this story a million times, but um, you know, I basically yeah. said, Whatever I can do, scrub toilets, I'll come in here every day after work. And that's that's what I did. And eventually uh he came we built a studio, he came to work with us. Um and that's kind of how I got my start. That's rad. So, you know, to kind of give a brief, real, simplified explanation of what mastering is, uh, mastering 
at its core, mastering the, the mastering engineer creates the final product that gets duplicated into the different formats, whether that be vinyl, digital, cassette, CD. Mm-hmm. We are the final quality control to ensure that everything is correct. That involves a creative aspect of the pro- process, um, which is trying to think of the best way to explain this without getting too technical. Yeah, but, I mean, you could definitely go technical. Don't okay, worry about that. Okay. But yeah. I so, just, yeah. So, you know, in my mind, mastering a record is taking a group of songs that were recorded, not necessarily within the context of them all fitting together mm-hmm. and make them sound like a cohesive group. Mm-hmm. So, you know, some of the tools we'll use for that are equalization, compression, uh, you know, different methods of uh, gain staging and volume to optimize the audio and make it sound as good as it can and make sure it translates as broadly through a a variety of different systems. Yeah. And, uh, you know, originally mastering was literally taking the master tapes from the engineer and doing a straight transfer to vinyl. That mm-hmm. was the mastering process. You take the master tapes, you don't touch them, you don't EQ them, you don't do anything else to them because the engineer already did that, and you transfer it to vinyl. Um, and over the years, you know, sort of starting in the, probably in the early 60s, you know, mastering engineers started to take more liberty. They were asked to do more things, uh, add equalization, dynamics to sort of optimize the records yeah and it's kind of turned into what it's turned into to today where we're actually able to have a pretty large creative impact if we need to on the product yeah i'd say that i saw that you know uh we uh you mastered hollander's record and it's one of those where you know i've done a ton of recording and been through the mixing process and um it really wasn't until you know when i met you out here maybe a couple years ago yeah um, that I really kind of had the thought to pay more attention to the mastering process and then really hearing the like difference because especially like at some of the lower level, like recording artists who are on a budget and they're doing that, they go and they go in a studio and it gets mixed in the same studio that they recorded it in. And then oftentimes for them comes a mastering that's like, you know, it's like, Oh, like, Oh yeah, I can master it for an, you know, throw me an extra 50 bucks. I'll master it for you. Yeah. You know, and it being one of those things where at that stage, it's like, well, I don't know if I heard a difference, but I know that like even through Hollander stuff, like the, what we got from the mix, which we thought like, oh, this sounds good. Like, then we got the masters back and we were like, holy shit, this is like different. This yeah. is like, it's not different in the sense of like anything was changed, but it's just like, it felt bigger and it felt fuller and rounder and it felt more complete than, you know, when we sent it off and it's, that's was like the that was my first experience in, in seeing that and i and it's been ever since then that like i preach that to any artists i'm working with all the time i'm like don't skip this part yeah like do not skip this part it, it's super important and i tell people that and i'll happy to tell them like listen if you can't afford me that's fine but you you this is an essential part of of the production yeah. i mean we're the last we're the last gatekeepers. And yeah. I mean, you're sitting in my studio right now, like most recording studios yeah. don't have, you know, $200,000 monitoring systems. <laughs> no, yeah. And, and I'm not saying that to, yeah. to be pompous or brag, but there's a, there's I have a to, I have yeah. to have that yeah. because I need to be able to, he- this is my microscope. 
Yeah. So um, there are things that I hear on this that you probably weren't able to hear as you guys were mixing the record. Right. And that's super important. And, and that's how we ensure that it it translates widely onto, you know, most most systems. Yeah. Obviously, there are things that are beyond our control, but that's the that's the key. And you really don't want to skimp on that part. Right. You know, and that's I think I remember when I was here last time, you kind of went into some of the detail about, you know, this room in particular, which obviously being in here is just a gorgeous room, like just to look at is great, you know, without acknowledging the fact that there's speakers in here that are worth more than anyone would ever pay for my life. But it's one of those where like the idea of a microscope being and looking at that where like when things are recorded in a, in a studio and it's mixed in this room and that room has like weird things that might not exposed fucked up frequencies and you bring it here and it's just like clear yeah day yeah i mean that's a very common occurrence i mean i uh, you know most of my work is repeat business yeah so you can you actually can you actually will start to learn a, the kind of sonic signature from different mixers and at different levels mm. and you, you can oftentimes i can get pretty close to guessing what speakers they're mixing on <laughs> and I definitely can hear what issues they have in their room. Yeah. So if you have a mixer that every mix come through, comes through and there's just way too much hundred cycles, you yeah. know, there's, uh, there's obviously an issue in their room. Yeah. And part of my job when I develop a relationship with a mixer or producer engineer is that we talk about that stuff. I was just going to ask, you know, if you we like, can tell them, yeah, like, hey, like, Hey dude, something's going on. You yeah. need to fix this. <laughs> and it's helpful to everybody. Yeah. And I, I think that's kind of part of what you pay for too. Yeah. And it's a learning experience for everybody. And then what happens is once I've done a record or two with someone, then we learn from each other and I know what they want. They know you know, they know um, they're getting a better understanding of of things to look for while they're mixing. And then it just then it just everything flies through smoothly. Yeah. After that. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's that's why I think that like there's so much of that. that I think that just gets overlooked or just as people just don't have no idea. You yeah. Know, all this why like all of a sudden they get in their car and this thing that they spend all this money on well in their perspective a, a lot of money on and uh they're like all of a sudden they're like i just don't know why is it why is it not sound like it did when i was sitting in the studio listening to it yep you know yeah um, yeah so that that's why i tell everyone you know don't skip the process i mean yeah. especially if you're an indie band i know i know budgets are are um restrictive and tight these days yeah. but you know if you if you just spend all this money making an album and it means a lot to you, you know, develop a relationship with a mastering engineer, work with them. Uh, there are a lot, and if, if budget's an option, there are a lot of really good, affordable mastering engineers out there and find someone that understands your genre and understands yeah. your background. I mean, I think that that's equally as important when you're shopping for a mastering engineer is yeah. you need someone that understands what you're doing. So if someone sends me a noise record, you know, I mean, I grew up listening to Throbbing Gristle and, yeah. and Non and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. Like, I know, you know that like, that's I know supposed to, to be like that. Yeah. But at the same time, yeah. I know what, a, you know, I, I know what a pop record is supposed to sound like because I do a lot of those. Yeah. And I love all types of music. But it's, I think it's important to find someone that kind of understands where you're coming from, you yeah. know? And... I'm sort of sensitive to that because as someone that grew up 
spending so many years, you know, in the kind of DIY sort of punk rock scene, that was always something that was overlooked when I was younger. Yeah. Like growing up in Denver, we would go to the one of two recording studios and you don't ask who's engineering. You don't ask questions because you're too afraid to, because you're super intimidated about the whole process. Cause it's, you yeah. walk in and you're like, Oh my God, I'm it's 50 bucks an hour to record here, which is insanely cheap. Right. But like yeah, even yeah. then, you, you know, yeah. like it's, it's intimidating. So you get what you get. Yeah. And, um, I think doing the research and finding someone that understand, like understands where you're coming from, uh, we'll just, you'll just end up with a better record. Yeah. You know? And I'm sure having the experience of having done like, you know, things that are like, oh, I've done these records that all are just like that thing. You yeah. Know, I know, I know what to do with it sonically. Yeah. And a, a lot of people know that. So it's, it's funny throughout the years and as my career has sort of evolved, and it's been a strange evolution because I started working on a lot of hardcore and more experimental kind of indie records. Yeah. And then there were a few records that I did um you know in the sort of around what's it around 2008ish uh actually even earlier I think 2006 I started working uh with my friends Dean and Randy and, and they're in a band called No Age mm -hmm. and I've I was actually I produced three records for them mastered most of their records and uh they're kind of a noise pop outfit and after I did a couple of records for them then all of a sudden you start getting all these records from bands trying <laughs> yeah. to sound like that. And then yeah. sort of around that same time, I did a couple records for this uh, kind of surf sort of indie pop punk band called Best Coast. Okay. I did the, a couple of records for Best Coast. And then all of a sudden, every record yeah. I got were, were bands trying to sound yeah. like Best Coast. And it's funny now I do a lot of, you know, I do a lot of country and Americana stuff, which I love. Yeah. And, you know you definitely notice that, you know, people are coming to me because of the Sturgill and Isbell and Stapleton yeah. stuff. And you hear a lot of that and it's cool, right. but it, but because people are listening, they're like, Oh, th this is, this is kind of where I want to be. And they're trying to put the pieces in place to get them there. Yeah. You know? so. I, I feel like there's, what's been cool is, um, and, and I mean, obviously I think there's like the resurgence of vinyl has, has probably played some role in this too, which I'd love to touch on that. But, the um but seeing that i feel like i'm constantly hearing more and more people who are players and artists that are paying more attention to the people who are on the back end of the records mm -hmm. now like as opposed to being like oh i had that guitar player and stuff like that and now it's like people are i feel like at least maybe it's just the circle i'm in but it's come back to this thing where they're like you know it's a big deal to go like oh man oh well that's the guy that he recorded with this person and that person and they did it at this studio and this is the guy that mastered it and um I, I would imagine like how, how often is that being where, cause I know you, you obviously work with some like major label stuff, but um, on like a more independent level, are you, are you getting that where people are like, man, I just love this record and I want to work with the people that made that thing happen. Oh yeah, for yeah. sure. I mean, there've been a, a number of people that have, that have sort of, that have come to me through, for instance, the Chris Stapleton records. Yeah. And then, uh, which my buddy Vance Powell engineers yeah. uh, with Dave Cobb. And I do a lot of work, you know, Vance, obviously. Yeah, yeah. I do a lot of work with Vance. And I think we both probably get that, you yeah. know, where people are coming looking for that sound. And it makes sense because you're, I mean, if it's a sound you like. Now, obviously, like for instance, <laughs> the Stapleton records, I mean, like Vance and Dave Cobb are two of my favorite engineer yeah. and producers ever. But like, 
I mean, and they, and and they do an excellent job. But Chris Stapleton is a is a right. force of nature. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, he could sing into his iPhone and it would probably be a number <laughs> yeah. one. So yeah. it, it it you know it's good to have all the like you want to do what you can to have all the all the players in place. Yeah, but absolutely. like, if what's on the other side of the microphone isn't up to that same caliber, you're not. You know, you're right. not going to get the it same still result. Still comes down to yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Still com- it always comes yep. back to the song and and the one singing it, delivering it. Of course. I mean, yeah. I I use that. You know, I use that the example I use all the time. I mean, you know, all of this stuff is great, and you know, we want to put out the best quality records possible. But if the song sucks, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And some of my, you know, one of my favorite bands of all time is Husker Du. Okay. Oh god. Zen Arcade is one of my yeah. favorite albums ever. Yeah. It sounds like fucking garbage. Yeah. Garbage. Yeah. Every Husker Du album does. It doesn't yeah, it matter. Does. I don't care. I don't want it to sound any better. Yeah. yeah. Like it. It's it, that. It's perfect. In yeah. fact, like it, just all of the crazy raw sound just adds to it. Yeah. And it just goes to show you if you've got really good songs and amazing energy and there's this magic that happens. Yeah. I mean, the self-titled Rights of Spring album too is just the same. Yeah. The same thing. Like that album. Uh, I don't know if you've listened to that. Oh record, yeah, but, big, um, big Bob Mold. Yeah, yeah. But, I, my dad's old like, punk rocker, so I grew up like that's that is my foundation. Yeah, for, like what I it's I, uh, like that stuff to me is you know it it like all of this is important, but yeah. if the song it it you know my point is if the song's not there and the plane's not there, then yeah. you know it doesn't matter if you've got you know a million dollars worth of microphones and the greatest engineers and producers in the world. Right, but. If you've got that, st- if you've got the playing in order and the songs in order, then everything else helps. Just adds and helps yep. it. That yeah. must be interesting. Like that's some, I would never even thought of that. But hearing you talk about that is doing what you do and knowing what you know and having the access to the things that you do and listening to stuff and constantly like, how do you, is that is it like hard for you to listen to stuff sometimes? Like obviously with something like that, you just love it and you're like, I love it regardless. But when you hear music, is it hard for you not to like constantly like pick apart those things? It was for a long time. Yeah. It's not at all anymore. I yeah. I um I find that I can I can wear two hats when I'm just listening mm-hmm. to music. I can listen. I don't. I've I've figured out a way to not listen as a mastering engineer yeah. most of the time. Yeah. Sometimes it creeps back in. Yeah. But if I'm just listening to something to enjoy it, um, yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess occasionally be like, wow, it's. You know, sounds a little wonky there, <laughs> but for the most part, um, even if there were choices made in production or mastering that I wouldn't have made, I'm still able to enjoy, enjoy it. it. Yeah. 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 And, um, I, I love music. I love being a music fan. Yeah. That's the most, that's the reason that I do this. Yeah. And, uh, I, I want to make sure that I always have that excitement that I did before I did this job. Yeah, because once you get jaded and once you don't like music, then maybe it's time to stop, you know. So, you know, I mean, there are times I definitely take breaks from music. I mean, once, you know, I listen to music all day. So um, oftentimes I'm in the car. I'm just listening to NPR podcasts like we mentioned earlier. But I have lately at night, I've just I've. I have an office at my house that I've kind of set up. So if I need to, I can do little tweaks. And it's also sort of my preparation in case we ever really get locked down that I have access. And uh, I've been going home at night and just spending three hours listening to music again. Oftentimes I'll just re-listen to the the records I did that day and recap. 
Yeah. And make sure I'm still into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, kind of, uh, and also like listening to it like in a different yep. element, you know, and yeah. being able to revisit it and Yeah. That's interesting, yeah. So, I, you know, I I I I always kind of want to stay fresh and have yeah. that in- excitement about music, you know. Yeah. I can see that. And like that the whole idea of being able to separate is that was kind of funny and I'll so, totally throw myself under the bus on that. Like there's a lot of really shitty music that I totally allow myself to enjoy to listen to because it facilitates a good time in one way or another or whatever and it is kind of and i have friends all the time that like i don't understand how you can listen to that and you're like well i'm not i'm not a drummer right now or yep. i'm not a you know i'm not x y i'm just like i'm just i'm hanging out with these with them and they're and it's it's a good time it's just facilitating having a good time with them that's the only thing that matters right now exactly yeah 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 i think life's too short to like pigeonhole yourself and decide i don't like this type of music i hear people say that all the time yeah. especially people that grew up like i did like and i've had old friends ask me like isn't it weird that you worked on you work on all this country music now i'm like i grew up listening to country music <laughs> exclusively yeah until i discovered heavy metal and punk rock yep i mean yep. i grew up uh i mean i saw johnny cash when i was 11 years old oh, my hey. my grandmother yeah. uh, funny side story <laughs> my grandmother had a heart attack at a johnny cash show oh shit uh i think i was I think I was about 11. No, I was younger than that, maybe 10. And uh, the town I grew up in, I grew up in a small town outside of Boulder, Colorado. Um, it was in between Longmont and Boulder. So okay. Longmont is north of Boulder. And it was, the address was technically Longmont, but it was kind of rural Boulder County. And so growing up there, my, you know, my grandparents lived there. They were really into country music. And every year we would go to Cheyenne, Wyoming for Cheyenne Frontier Days, which is like big, yeah, you know, sort of ag fest thing and they always have they always have someone playing and and the last time i went at least my last memory of it i know i went a couple times before that but uh johnny cash played and i remember my grandmother had a heart attack while he was playing <laughs> and it was crazy they uh oh god she, they they were trying to carry her out on a stretcher and they had her on a stretcher and they were rolling her out and she kept grabbing onto guardrails because they didn't want to they didn't she didn't want to miss the show no way yeah. <laughs> it was it was crazy oh, no uh yeah. that's terrible to be laughing about your grandma having a heart attack no it's that's pre- a good it's, story it's pretty funny yeah yeah so it's a it's kind of a weird it's a weird memory yeah. you know but um so i you know i grew up listening to you know i was exposed to a lot of waylon and johnny mm-hmm. cash and the oakridge boys and alabama and hank and all that stuff early on and then um I think when I about when I got into third grade, I discovered heavy metal. Okay. And uh, one of my friends who was my age, he had an older brother, and it was fucking typical small town story. Drove like the primer Chevy Nova, <laughs> total stoner, long hair, yeah. like smoked, and you know, like we thought he was so fucking cool. Yeah. So that's when it started getting into Ozzy and Judas Priest, and then I discovered Motley Crue and the first oh, two Crue albums. Game and, over. Yeah, and then. It was all metal up until about sixth grade. And during that time, like I want to say in kind of third, fourth grade, I I got heavily into skateboarding. But I lived, you know, I lived in an area where there was no Internet. And all we knew was little glimpses we got from Thrasher magazine. Yeah, it was once a month. And we would start hearing music, you know, through like cassettes that we would buy in the catalog in the back of the magazine. And then I started watching some of the early skateboard 
movies like Skate Visions and the first mm-hmm. Powell movie. Mm-hmm. And I heard, you know, that's when I heard JFA and The Faction and Dead Kennedys. Oh, yeah. And and then even started getting into speed metal. Like I heard, I still remember the first day I heard Rain and Blood and my head almost exploded. Yeah. I was just like, this is the craziest thing ever. Because yeah, I was listening to heavy metal, but I never heard Slayer. Right. You know? Yeah. And I mean, I was way into Iron Maiden, and I mean, Steve Harris was the reason I started playing bass. No way. Steve Harris and Mike Watt. Oh, Mike Watt. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Men and Men are Jesus. my favorite yeah. band of all time. Yeah. Like, I, I probably have a lot of favorite bands of all time, but really, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's the Men and Men. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, when I, when I kind of discovered punk rock and sort of changed everything, and then I seriously started playing in bands, and yeah, and that kind of changed my trajectory. Huh. Yeah, it's funny is that I remember being a kid and uh, the first time I ever heard Johnny Cash. I was living with my grandparents at the time, and my first like my first tapes that I recorded from my uncle's CDs on like a radio or something like whatever one was like mm-hmm. was like Oingo Boingo and Beastie Boys. Yeah, I knew those records front to back. Like, like lyrically, it was just like oh, yeah. a little ass kid singing those things. I remember my uncle uh, listening to Johnny Cash, and I just remember being like what is this? This sounds terrible. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, this guy can't even sing. And he's just, just like, I'm going to let that one go. And he's like, come, yeah. come back in like 15 years. We'll have a different yeah. conversation. Sure as shit. I remember like way later on, but it's, uh, you know, growing up with my dad, he was a uh, huge into punk rock. You know, my, so I was born in 86 and my dad was 20 years old. Was yeah. So he was, that's, he was 20 and in, in, you know, right there in the smack dab of it. And, was like just surrounded and all that. And so uh, when I moved in with my dad, that's like all it was, was that, wow. you know, it was like, yeah, it was like adolescence, descendants, ex, like all, <sighs> it was just like that, that was yeah. my childhood. Descendants were my life when I was a young skateboarding that's, kid. was my favorite fan. I mean, still to this yeah. day is like one of those oh. where like, that's just, that, I know, I know, you know, you're you're a real fan if you know like all the alternate lyrics on Liveage. Yes, I can sing the Liveage versions <laughs> yeah. differently than the studio yeah, versions. Yeah, yeah. And my honestly, yeah. and my favorite, my favorite um, record of theirs that I listened to probably the most was the live, the double with all. So it was like their live. It was oh, like yeah, the, yeah. it was like the show that when they transitioned from being Descendants and went to being All, and uh, for, but for whatever reason, I always just loved live records. Mm. Yeah, like that. I always just loved hear listening to the live one. I loved hearing the sound of people in the audience. Yeah, I, I even loved. I never saw the Descendants, but I've seen all. I don't know. I mean, at yeah. least ten times. I mean, because yeah. before those guys all moved to Fort Collins, mm-hmm. before they moved to Colorado, they toured through Colorado all the yeah. time. So I saw them with a bunch of different singers. I, I kind of love every singer. I loved Scott Reynolds. Yeah, I, yeah. Like, like, um, what's his name from uh. From Dag Nasty, who sang on that one all record. Uh, my God, I'm I can't the, believe I'm the I worst when it comes to names. I can't believe I'm yeah. forgetting this. It's, all my hardcore yeah. friends are fucking yelling at me when they hear this. I'm like, yeah. you fucking idiot, Dave Smalley. Yeah, Dave Smalley. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. That's funny. I lo- I love that stuff, man. Well, it's, what's interesting is so then going through all that, um, I, you know, I went and basically, Social D was one of those bands, and then. Mike Ness branched off and he started kind of going down this like weird country thing. And then, uh, and like also what's funny is that in the mix of all that, like the whole punk rock world is always Neil Young is in there. He's like, Uh, as like a honorary punk rock member. And so it's, uh, and that's how I ended up really falling in love with country music randomly. Cause it was like, my dad was throwing punk rock down my throat. So I did, it was like, 
kind of was like, oh, like I have to listen to this all the time. It, there yeah. was nothing rebellious about me going into punk rock, you know, or anything like that. And then, uh, so it's funny is now my dad always is is like, I don't know where I went wrong. <laughs> see but i think that's a, the great there's so much cross i've worked with mike ness yeah. a handful of times that guy's fucking great what yeah. he's super cool dude yeah. and like i totally respect like and he has a shitload of integrity and i love yeah. what he does and i love that you know i love his appreciation for for i mean there's no doubt that that guy's not punk as fuck right but has such an appreciation for blues and Americana yeah, and country yeah. and understands the roots too, and can do it in a genuine way. Yeah. You know, I, and I, I really like that. And that's kind of how I feel. It's like, man, there's no reason for anyone to, and especially an artist to pigeonhole themselves. Be yeah. Like I'm just a, we're just a punk rock band or we're just right. this. Yeah. It's like, you yeah. Know. And that's, yeah. I mean, that's kind of always a joke that we kind of come back to. Now also my, and not so fun. I mean, it's funny, but it's not really funny. But my dad would be like, "Yeah, well, he's like, well, that's when he stopped doing heroin." So he's like, you know, it's like, like Jesus Christ. <laughs> funny side note: you mentioned Neil Young. Like, I got into Neil Young in a really weird, backwards way, and I, mm. I love Neil Young. But yeah. uh, well, hit and miss. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the first and, and like Neil Young purists are gonna cringe when they hear this. Oh God, I love uh, this already. <laughs> but the first Neil Young album I ever heard that I bought when I was a kid was Trans. No way. Yeah, I mean, he went and down I, that like weird. Like... So I bought it because I I lived in the middle of nowhere, yeah. and so we would go to uh, fuck. What was the name of the record store at the time? Whatever it was the big box record store in the mall. Yeah, like... and we'd go buy cassettes, and you know, it's in the eighties, and uh, I had kind of heard who he was. And uh, I saw the album cover and I was just like, fuck, this looks cool. And I remember bringing it home and my uncle uh, was visiting from Minnesota at the time. And he was a big Neil Young fan, but he was yeah. kind of like one of those guys at the time that didn't pay a ton of attention to music, but was into Neil Young in the past. And he's like, oh, let me borrow that tape. Oh God. And he borrowed it for two days and he just threw it back. And yeah. he's like, what the fuck is this shit? You know, <laughs> I was like, it's awesome. What are you talking about? <laughs> I had no idea that. And actually, I still have a ton of respect for why he did those yeah. records and I actually love that album still but it was a funny way to get into Neil Young yeah. you know I totally forgot about those until <laughs> maybe it was like a couple years ago and um we had like a residency at some like small like local venue or whatever bar venue like a Sunday night like thing and one of the people decided to do like a um like a Neil Young night or something like that and it was like going to bring in a bunch of the local players and a bunch of singers were all going to kind of and uh, I remember like one of the, the guys went up and they totally pulled a couple like tracks off of the record. And I was like, what the fuck? I totally forgot about this shit. Like, so, so weird. It's so funny. That's so that's so great. Yeah. But I don't know. I, yeah. I, I love I just love music. Yeah. That's the, you know, one of the greatest things about this job. We we joke about it all the time here. It's like our worst day here is better than most people's best days. Oh, yeah. And believe me it's not lost on me that i have one of the greatest jobs ever i love this job because i love listening to music yeah and i get to hear records before anybody in the public gets to hear oh them. god yeah i'm the last guy to last last person to put the stamp on it mm -hmm. so it's super exciting when i do listen to music i, I i've got serious uh satellite in my truck mm -hmm. and uh 
I listen to Outlaw Country Station. Yeah. My buddy Shooter does a lot of stuff on there. And I just, that's kind of the only thing I listen to besides news. And it's funny because so much of the shit I do is on Outlaw Country. Yeah. And it's still, it's, there's, I still feel like I'm 10 years old and I hear a song. I'm like, oh my God, that's... it's on the radio. <laughs> it's like, you know, yeah. it's, so, it's so cool. It's super, yeah. it's super exciting. Well, you know? I mean, I imagined, I mean, at this point too, so many of the artists you've worked with are just kind of on, it's like, like all the time i look and there's stuff too where like because i obviously like i follow kind of stuff you guys are doing and, I, and there's obviously certain things where i go i'm like all right i know that's kind of come through your your thing and stuff but there'll be other times too where i'll, I'll look at something and I'm like oh no way pete did that that's rad i was like yeah it's kind of all over the board you yeah. know um i mean i just kind of you know it goes in phases i do a lot of you know a lot of records that are kind of similar genre and then i yeah. can get back to i mean it's funny because i do so much country and americana that i, and I love it yeah. But I love doing big pop records. I love rock and roll records. I just did the new Weezer record. Recently. No way. Yeah. Cool. The second record I've done for them. Yeah. And it's so much fun. Yeah. You know? And I love, like, I love doing the Hollander record because I love doing, I I love doing the country stuff, but I love doing these big, full, crazy, epic pop kind of electronic yeah. influenced productions. Yeah. Because uh, I've done records for Halsey and Banks yeah, and artists yeah. like that. And it, and Fall Out Boy and panic at the disco and i love that shit yeah like which is funny because some of that stuff is stuff that if you would ask me 20 years ago i wouldn't have like <laughs> understood it yeah you know and one of the coolest things about this job is that you learn to appreciate music on a different level yeah i can you know? imagine yeah like one of the one of the one of the negatives about growing up as a punk rock kid is it you become jaded really early on. Yeah. And, you know, when you're playing in bands in a weird punk rock scene, there's like, you know, for, for a bunch of people that claim to not be judgmental and there's no rules, there's more fucking rules <laughs> right. than everything. You yeah. Know? It's like, oh, you're not vegan? You like yeah. this band? Uh, you did this? You like, you yeah. can't like that band. They yeah. sold too many records or they did this. And it's like, and after a while, you're just like, fuck you. I'm going to listen to whatever the fuck I want. Yeah. If I want to listen to Miley Cyrus today or whatever, yep. like, go fuck yourself. Like, this is what I like and stop you know like music's music if it's good yeah. i'm gonna be into it if i, I like mean, it i like it there's yeah. nothing there's no way around yeah. that i mean i was in here with my buddy reed shippen the other day and mm. we were just sitting around drinking whiskey and listening to sir mix a lot <laughs> <laughs> yes. we, we listened to tribe yes. called quest or mix a lot oh, um tribe, we yeah. had a crazy old weird old hip-hop night just like drinking whiskey and sitting in here and it was awesome yeah you know i love that i mean yeah. i kind of grew up in my late teens too uh, and it was interesting because getting involved in in punk rock kind of early on in the 80s i was born in 74 so in the late 80s like to me being being a younger you know teen was well i was approaching 16 mm -hmm. when when i when i first heard public enemy and nwa yeah. i was like holy shit this is the closest thing to punk rock i've heard yep. and in some cases it's more punk absolutely yeah uh and I remember when I was 16, I saw, I went and saw Public Enemy, craziest show I've ever seen. Public Enemy on the Fear of a Black Planet tour, Ice Cube, and that was America's Most Wanted. Oh, Big Daddy Kane. Wow. Um, it was nuts. It was yeah. full on riot. Too. Yeah. It was a gang. It was a height of of gang craziness in Denver, and uh, a lot of people think, oh, it's Colorado, nothing was going on there, but mm. Denver was kind of gnarly back then. Yeah. Uh 
but I gravitated towards that stuff. Like the first solo, like easy does it the first easy record, like that shit all blew my mind. Yeah. You know, all the ghetto boys stuff. Oh, ghetto boys. Yeah. Yeah. I, I still love all that stuff. Uh, Joe Rogan just had the cat from the ghetto boys. Oh really? Yeah. Actually it was funny is that he was on and, uh, with Mike judge. Oh, that's like they're both awesome. there, like at the same time. It's super good. But, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Mike Judge, a uh, uh, fucking fortune. Uh, uh, what do you call it? Psychic. He somehow saw into the future. So crazy. A whole other podcast. Right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Um. Well, it's funny. So I saw one of the craziest shows you mentioned. That was Full Red's craziest show I'd ever been to. Uh, was actually Public Emmy was on the bill. Uh, it was when Rage Against Machine got back together. Oh wow! And uh, Rage Against Machine was like, like Descendants, Rage Against Machine were, were like hand in hand in my like listening catalog. I just nonstop. That's what yeah. I listened to. And they broke up, and I was pretty, you know, I was uh, not old enough to have gone seen them at that point. So yeah, much. yeah. And uh, but my aunt, her best friend, married uh, the bass player, and uh, and so I would like run into them every now and then and stuff, and then. Uh, I they made the announcement that they're gonna get back together, and they announced rock rock the bells in Riverside, and I hit up my aunt and I was like, hey, yeah. whatever you can do, like I want to go to the show, and so it was like Public Enemy and Wu Tang. I remember that tour. Yeah, yeah. atmosphere was there. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, Rage obviously you know, closed out the night, and it was the craziest shit I'd ever seen in my entire life. Maybe still to this day, like. You know, we actually had like spots where we were kind of were up on this lifted spot. It was like uh, outside the pit, so it's up, and the field was kind of behind us. And like going through like all like Public Enemy and Wu Tang and all that, it was already crazy enough. And then Rage came out, and they started with Bomb Track right out the gate, and it was just <laughs> like a flood of people just jumping and just jumping like twelve feet off of the balcony into just crowds of people, and fires were going everywhere, and you were just like, "This is the craziest shit God. I've ever seen." That's amazing. I love it. And I love it. Like going back to that too, it's like just music. Yeah. The craziest show <laughs> I ever, I really ever saw was, uh, have you heard of a band called Crash Worship? No. I, I think they're from San Diego. They're cra- kind of collective noise band. Okay. But known for crazy antics. And I saw them at a place called the Mercury Cafe in Denver. It okay. must have been 96. And you know, very kind of tribal sort of like whole bunch of band members, you know, mm-hmm. lots of tribal drumming. And the, the show ended by most of the people in the band naked, half the crowd naked, <laughs> all oiled up. And there was a couple people from the band with with maces, you know, sticks with. Yeah. And, but they were flaming. Wow. And there was so much smoke in the venue that it was billowing out the top of the of the roof and the fire department kicked in the doors and came in and shut down the show. Oh my God. That was pretty nuts. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. yeah it was pretty, it was pretty crazy. Jesus. But side note. Yeah. Anyways, that's wild. Lots of crazy nineties. Yeah. Uh, show stories. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Uh, dang. But bring it back a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I, um, we were talking about, uh, I can talk about like vinyl. Yeah, yeah. That's another, obviously, like one of those. I mean, I don't know if this is one of those things you get tired of talking about, but I talk about it a lot. I bet. But I'm happy to talk about it with you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. But because uh, I know that, you know, before I've come through, you've, we've walked through and you, you have a kind of a unique, like one <clears throat> of. Yeah. We have a pretty historic 
vinyl lathe. So a vinyl lathe is the machine that's used to cut um, the first impression of the record that gets pressed. So we we actually master, uh, we cut a groove into a master disc that gets sent to the plant and it gets turned into metal parts through a process called electroplating. Hmm. And then they press out the records on hydraulic presses. So we're responsible for cutting the actual audio into an aluminum disc that's covered with nitrocellulose lacquer, kind of looks like nail polish. And um, the machine we use is a Neumann AM32B. So ours is particularly interesting because it was an it was originally purchased by RCA in 1956 Holy right shit. when it was made yeah and it cut i mean tens of thousands of unbelievable records um my mentor Richard Simpson who was a house engineer for RCA cut uh probably every John Denver record cut on that lathe a ton of Elvis records David Bowie Lou Reed no way. uh Velvet Underground Harry Nielsen um then in the 80s all those Donna Summer disco hits and then <laughs> in LA Richard was kind of like the hip hop guy in LA so Jurassic 5 Alcoholics most of the Ghetto Boys records were cut mm. on that Cool Keith um first NWA record was cut on that lathe and then I'm Richard was the engineer that I I was I spoke of earlier if I didn't mention his name but we uh we cut thousands of yeah. records together on that lathe and then I restored it went through a ground up restoration about 6 years ago to get it to where it is today mm -hmm. and it's unbelievable sounding lathe now mm -hmm. it's it's it was built in 1956 but it's fully upgraded and operates um more effectively than probably any other, yeah. you know, modern lathe. Wild. Yeah. Because I know that those are pretty few and far between. Yes. As, as I understand. They're pretty rare now. Um, it's interesting with vinyl. When I started cutting, I started cutting on the downturn. Okay. So the only people that were left doing records were hip hop guys and punk rock bands. Yeah. And a lot of the electronic musicians started kind of going to CD transports. And then indie rock stuff started to fall and so did the hip hop stuff. And then I continued to cut through all of that. So it's hilarious when I hear people talk about the resurgence, I'm like, it, it's right. kind of funny to me because to me, vinyl has always been the biggest part of my life. Sure. From the time that I was a kid playing in hardcore bands, when you got, when you were in a band and put a seven inch out, you were a fucking band. Right. You're like, yeah. here's my record, motherfucker. <laughs> I've got a record. Yeah. Like yeah. a real thing. Yeah. And even that, no one cared, no one cared about CDs. Like yeah. anyone can make a CD. Here's my record, yeah. you know. And that's still the excitement I feel about vinyl. Yeah, it's it's still the most important part to me. Yeah, you know. Well, it's definitely been a unique thing too, in the sense that, um, I mean, going back to like the tangibility of it. Even I mean, what's crazy is too is I feel like it's also all the time you hear this is an investment. You know, obviously for a band to say, mm -hmm. hey, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go purchase like, and. Um, and I think a lot of that, too, is a lot of people don't understand why, you know, because we were used to things being fabricated yep. so easily and like, oh, it's this thing that's done in China or it's like whatever. Um, and uh, but with like more of I feel like culturally there's been a shift where people I think things have become so disconnected that people have shifted to being like, oh, I want to pay more to reconnect with things. 
And like going back to that, like having this thing that you can open up and you have to play it start to finish you have to yeah. have invested in a record player and a receiver and quality speakers and know how to set up that record player yeah and make it sound good that's right. a huge part and that's that's i i think one of the i think you're right that's one of the big appeals of vinyl is that it's not it's not the same as opening up itunes and hitting play right like you have to understand the format to listen to it properly yeah you have to understand the format you have to invest in some quality equipment and you have to learn how to properly use the equipment that's a that's a big part of it and i but i argue that that's one of the things that's so attractive about it yeah is you know one of the examples i use when you're listening to a record on vinyl it's more like watching a film as Mm. opposed to like watching reality tv which is kind of like like you you get a, a you go to spotify and listen to whatever new record and right. you jump around and you have a million songs, songs at your and fingertips. Million, yeah and you're usually busy doing other shit when you listen to a record most of the time you sit down you put the record on the turntable you sit in a spot and focus on that record and you look at the cover art read the liner notes you get up flip the record that's like an intermission for yeah. the record yeah put side b on and you're usually fully engaged rather than oh i'm listening to jay-z while i wash the dishes or whatever yeah it's nothing against jay-z right right yeah 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 that's a great artist to wash dishes to yeah yeah (laughs) but it's uh the intentionality of it for sure is uh it is it's very like you have to make a decision that i'm gonna i'm doing this you know i've dedicated this moment to to engage in that way yeah, sorry, I'm taking a tequila break here. Yeah, yeah, which by the way, yeah, he's supplied some very delicious tequila. <laughs> <laughs> very grateful. Um, but uh, yeah, another aspect of that that's been unique too is for, especially for like, um, like artists that are kind of more in the ground level, independent artists, is it being something like there's, it's finally like there's this one aspect where you can like, a product that you can sell your music on and actually make money yep, um, for sure. without having a million list streams or whatever. And it's like, Oh, I can go hand this thing and people are willing to pay for it and they're willing to pay a decent price for it. And, and you know, they're, and it's great when, when the artist really takes the time to do it right. And they're right. really engaged and, and I'm lucky enough that a lot of the artists I work with really care mm-hmm. about the way the vinyl turns out, you know? Yeah. I do a lot of work with Trey Anastasio and uh like that guy is super you know super invested in making sure that his fans hear the best quality product that mm-hmm. they can hear you know yeah and it, it's cool because frankly with 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 some labels and some artists when they do vinyl that's an afterthought they're like oh we'll take whatever the digital master is and we'll just make that fit on vinyl and we'll yeah. just send it out because it's kids are going to buy it from hot topic and put it up on their walls right. and listen to the download. And that's really not what it's all about. Like, yeah, you can do that. And unfortunately that's probably how 65% of the records are made. Yeah. Uh, and I refuse to do that. That's why part of my process and this will go, you know, we could go into a whole other thing about this, but I, I, I do so much vinyl that I'm, I, I'm always keeping that in mind so that when we cut the record for the artist, I, I basically have a separate master version that's mm-hmm. more suitable for the format that's sure. different than the digital version. Yeah. And that's part of my process. I just incorporate that into the process. Yeah. So much so that I can 
retroactively go back. If an artist decides a year later they want to cut vinyl for something we've already done, I can go back and do a vinyl version that's much more suitable yeah. for the format. And I didn't, honestly, I didn't, I mean, I was somewhat aware, but it wasn't, even when we, we worked on the Hollander stuff and you'd ask like, oh, you're talking about vinyl. It's like, yeah, well, and you're like, well, it's a whole nother process just so you know. Mm-hmm. So like one of those things, I was like, oh yeah, totally didn't think about that. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, uh, but and I it think it makes that a huge difference. It too. does. Yeah. yeah. And I can totally see. So it's, it's interesting. I have good friends that they do, um, all the distribution for like live nation and like Warner uh-huh. and all that. And Carlsbad, uh, California. And, um, and I'm in their, in their warehouse quite often with, uh, the guy's CEO and my mentor and like one of my best friends. And so I'm in there a lot and stuff like that. And, uh, and I, I, remember being there as like this thing happened where like all of a sudden vinyl was so that all these artists that you would have never thought about, yeah, you know, every random, you know, thing. And I always do think about that in terms of how much of this is it being a thing where it's, it's vinyl because it's better or it's vinyl because it's just another means to, you know, make money because it's the cool thing right now yeah. or, or whatever. But well, I, one interesting thing that's happening is, Fans are becoming more savvy about vinyl. Yeah. There were still enough people that were fairly knowledgeable about vinyl to kind of spread the word. And as and, and I think people are becoming more critical of the product. Mm-hmm. So that's forcing the record labels and the artists to spend more time on the vinyl portion. Yeah. yeah. Whereas like in the mid 2000s, they were just like, get this record out. Like, you know, here's the CD, just use the CD as the audio for the vinyl. It's like, yeah. that's not how, <laughs> that's not how you're supposed to do it. Yeah. You know? yeah. I, but that's, that's what was done for yeah. a long time. But I, I think people are pretty savvy now and they have uh, greater expectations. And one of my jobs as a mastering engineer is to, is to explain to, artists and labels and bands like yeah you've got a 50 minute cd that's not going to work on two sides of oh, vinyl. Yeah. it's too long i explain the limitations to them and then we come up with a solution to make the best sounding record hmm. sometimes that solution is to do four sides sometimes it's to cut two songs yeah but um you know that's that's part of my job is to help educate people yeah i don't just you know i'm not just going to try to you know, square peg in a round hole, their record just to get it on vinyl. Right. And I'll oftentimes tell them like, I, I mean, I'm lucky after all these years, I'm in a position to tell people like, yeah. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> there are a million people that will do that. Yeah. Like if you want to make a shitty sounding record, I'm not going to do it. Cause I don't, frankly, I don't need the business that bad. I'm in, I, I do this because I love working with artists and I mm-hmm. love making great sounding records. Like uh, I'm not going to take your record on, if you want me to do something that is going to really sacrifice the, the overall product. Right. I mean, at the same time, like I, like I will always do what the artist and band wants, but I will always tell them like, you know, Hey, you've got 26 minutes aside. That's six minutes over the recommended extreme length (laughs) for running time. That's not going to work. Right. You know, it's up to you to figure it out how you, what you want to do now. Yep. That, and Yeah. yeah, that's, that's, yeah. I, it's my duty to tell them that it's like, it's going to sound bad. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So this is what you need to do. And I, I, it's yeah. better. Don't waste, don't waste thousands of dollars just because you want that extra song on the side. Like let's figure out a plan to right. make this work. Yeah, for sure. I have an artist I worked with where uh, it was one of those and he didn't think, I don't 
think you really thought about going into it either. You wanted to do it mm-hmm. on vinyl. And it was like 14 songs or so, 14, 14 songs, something like that. And you're like, fuck. And he, so what he ended up doing is uh, he kind of did something unique is we split it into three 10-inch. Uh, yeah. And uh, which is kind of odd. But it ended up being really cool because it came as a package. Yeah. And it was like we we grouped the songs that were like each other kind of in it and just kind of branded it as it being this like separate thing. And it was a, it was Turn, a unique project. But Yeah. We do a lot of like three-sided things for artists too. Yeah. Or we'll do three sides and then on the fourth side they'll do an unplayable etching. Yeah. Uh, Cody Jinks, uh, his, all of, I feel like all of his records end up that, that way. It's a good it's a good way to do it. Yeah, uh, I've done it on a few records. It's great. Yeah, know? and I imagine that's got to be again going back to that where it was like obviously in their recording process, putting it on vinyl wasn't in the was that was the that was like later later on they were yeah. just, oh, and we're going to do all these songs and then they're like oh yeah that's not going to work yeah um so it's definitely one of those for people that are listening out there like if that's what you want to do like look into that and make sure yeah. you're prepping yourself for yep. for success for sure for sure because uh, especially if you're an indie band it's really expensive to make vinyl yeah it's real it's really expensive yeah you know it, it calculate six seven times more than making a thousand cds yeah the same you know yeah. which is at those at that point though those are basically yeah. cds are coasters yeah coasters point. and yeah. business cards that's yeah. i always call them as a business card uh. Yeah. don't get me started i hate cds yeah <laughs> i hate them i hate them yeah i won't have any cds in my house like once a year my wife will kind of be like i really want to get a cd rack for my cds i'm like what no <laughs> yeah keep them in your car i have a bass like, player yeah. he, he has this old truck in the in this like not even a center console because it doesn't even have it's like a single cab so there's yeah. like and it's just in like the middle spot right there it's just like like two dozen CDs just stacked on top of each other. Oh man! And I'm always just like, "What are?" You? And he has like an iPhone too. I'm like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> and for him, he's just like, "Oh, I just like CDs." Yeah, some people do. My wife yeah. still just loves CDs. My yeah. wife won't listen to MP3s. Yeah, for streaming. Because she, I mean, she hears the sound quality difference. Yeah. So and she's, she's had to put up with you this whole time. So she, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy. Yeah. Which is the funny thing because if I'm driving, I'm fine streaming. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. Although, like, I for a long time I was. You know, as a casual listener, I was using Spotify because it was so convenient and yeah. podcasts and everything through it. But um, I, I just, for most listening, I switched over to Amazon HD and it's like, it's, I can't go back to Spotify. Interesting. Um, I, I know I have close. Amazon. I just haven't really, I haven't really messed with it. I mean, the, we've tested it. The, yeah. the HD masters are bit for bit what we sent. Send no way. Yeah. So you really are hearing like, if you've... If you've got a twenty four ninety six k file, that's what you're hearing. No way. If if, if your streaming stuff is yeah. all all defaulted the right, right way, yeah. Huh. Weird. Yeah. It's great. I'm gonna yeah. look into that. Yeah, I yeah. Spotify became such a hassle. I'd have clients send me links like, "Oh, here's a link to this Spotify this album on Spotify," and it's like, I don't want to use that as a reference. That's it not a reference. Sound, yeah, yeah, I can't. It's like, <laughs> it sounds like it's been high passed and low passed, and I, you know, even at the high quality streaming doesn't doesn't sound good yeah you know trip the hd is definitely a big step up okay i'm gonna yeah. check that out yeah i'd love to hear that yeah um i for a while i was doing apple music but yeah i was but mostly because i was like oh i was like well from what i understood i was like well i feel like they're they're paying their artists better than spotify is so i was trying yeah. to make it but granted that's probably it's still like fractions better but i have apple music too yeah i mostly i mostly got it i like to have a I have all the formats because I think in this job it's important Kinda to be able to, yeah. to hear how everything translates. And sometimes in my car, I have an iPhone, so it's yeah. easy to just be like, hey, Siri, play 
run the jewels on yep. Apple Music or whatever, and it just works. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. the, the, well, they definitely crush that. And like, how do I? How do we get people to get on here easier? Yeah, yeah. I make mean, it easy. Yeah, which yeah. Is, unfortunately, is like most things. Yeah. Um. How, so one thing that was uh, so my wife and I always talking about moving out here. Mm-hmm. How are you still loving Nashville? I love it. Yeah. I mean, I've said this a million times and my buddy, Ryan Hewitt, who lives Mm -hmm. here, who's a a producer, um, he moved out here maybe a year and a half before I did. And I remember I saw him two nights before he moved at a, at, uh, my friend Ivana had a holiday party at her house in Altadena and we were all in LA and I had no idea he was going to move. And he told me he was moving to Nashville. Mm -hmm. Which was funny because my buddy Dave Cobb moved a couple years earlier. And yeah. when he moved there, I was like, you're fucking crazy. I can't believe you're moving to Nashville. <laughs> and then Ryan was moving. I'm like, well, wait a minute. And yeah. Dave had been hassling me. He's like, you need to move here. Like yeah. After Traveler came out, he's like, what the fuck's wrong with you? Like, come out, come out. Yeah. <laughs> and then Vance was doing yeah, the same yeah. thing. And then Ryan moved. And I'm like, oh, God, like, you know, and I, I'd been struggling with L.A. for a while. But I had just built a big mastering facility in Echo Park, and um, my buddy Dave Gardner, who had a spot in Minneapolis called Magneto Mastering, had just joined us. And I love Dave. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's like my brother from another mother, you know. And I, I had all this stuff in L.A. that was just keeping me there. And basically what ended up happening was my wife and I bought a house in Sunland, just mm-hmm. up kind of by Glendale. A cool little house, but it was all we could afford at the time. You know, housing, you know, Southern yeah. California, crazy. And we had been a little bit of a backstory. We had been trying to have a kid for years and just wasn't happening. So we're like, well, fuck it. We were just joking. We're like, let's buy a house and we'll get a dog and an RV and who yeah. cares. <laughs> we move into the house. A week later, we find out she's pregnant. Oh, like, God. Fuck, this is not the house I would have bought if I had a kid coming. Yeah. And um, so that happened. And, you know, I started to just my my Nashville business was growing and it got to the point where I was like, well, half my clients are from Nashville. And I started traveling here a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, both Vance Powell and Dave Cobb really helped me out. And yeah. Vance was I mean, you know, he really helped helped gave me a lot of insight and helped me move yeah. out. And I mean, you've been to his awesome pad. Yeah. It's like, yeah. You know, uh, he's really helpful with that shit. And just made me feel at home. And every time I came out, I'm like, I just felt like the only reason I want to go home is to see my family. Yeah. And it got to the point where I I sort of felt trapped in L.A. Mm. I, I, I knew that I had to do something career-wise. And I was tired of the the stress of living in Los Angeles. Like, beyond the job, L.A. is a hard place to live. Yeah. And when you live there for a while, especially if you've been there for at least 10 years, you, it all becomes normalized to you. Yeah. You just get used to like, oh, I have to pay these insane high taxes and I have to pay $5 for a gallon of gas. And my property taxes on my shitty house are $15,000 a year. And, oh, there's guys smoking meth in front of my house at two in the morning. <laughs> and, and I mean, uh, I, I had yeah. all like everything and, you know. Five people tried to run me off the road on my motorcycle on my ride to work, and that happens at least once a week. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I mean, th- this isn't even really an exaggeration. It's all right, shit right. that yeah. was, 
that was happening. And then the Latuna Canyon fires happened. I think that was 2016. And we had fires maybe 250 yards from our house where you can hear and feel and, and mm-hmm. see them. And that was it for me. I'm like, you know what? Done. We're, we're moving. Yeah. And that was really difficult because I had a business partner at the time and I had a manager that ran my shop and I had my buddy Dave who had only been out here for a year joined Infrasonic and I had to tell them guys, I want to move to Nashville. And it was, it was a shock to everybody. Hmm. Um, a shock to my wife too. Yeah. Back and forth. My wife, uh, my wife is a Mexican woman who's born and raised in East Los Angeles. And my in-laws were, born and raised there as well in El Sereno. And they were both probation officers in East LA for 35, 40 years. Like they, you know, LA is, is part of that life, part of their lifestyle. And my wife had never lived anywhere else other than Santa Cruz when she went to college there. So, um, it was a, it was difficult to move, but once I moved, it, it was really funny. I think two weeks into moving, my wife told me, she's like, and she was joking. She's like, I don't care if you divorce me tomorrow. I'm never leaving. Na- no Tennessee's way. my home. Yeah. Now my wife is like fully integrated. She <laughs> loves it. It's like, you yeah. know, she's reading Garden and Gun and we're like, she's, you know, <laughs> she, she's canning peaches and making pies and oh shit. Oh my God. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, my in-laws, uh, who I love, I get along with them really well. Uh, they... And I'm, they, they, they still have a house in Alhambra, but they're very, like I said, they were both probation officers in East LA, like very, very integrated into the community. Mm-hmm. They bought a house less than a mile from us no and way. they live right, they live right down That's the street awesome. and they love it. Yeah. So, um, but one of the getting, kind of getting back to one of the things Ryan Hewitt had told me at one point when I saw him out here before I moved here and I, I stole this line from him, but he said, he said, the only regret I have is not doing it sooner. And yeah. I feel the exact same way. Damn it. I mean, it's <laughs> the the music community here. I mean, I, I know you already know this, but mm. super supportive. People yeah. are real great. People are great. They're friendly. But even beyond the industry, it's a great place to live. It's just easier to live here. It's easier to run a business. It's easier to go to the grocery store. It's easier, you know, you can afford a nice house. And if you want some land, you can easily be 30 minutes within, you know, 30 minutes out of side of Nashville and have 10 acres yeah. for way less than the house you would need to buy in San Diego. Yeah. Um, and once you get out of that SoCal California cycle and take a breath, you think, what the fuck was I doing for all yeah. those years? And I, I'm not, I, I don't want to be one of those guys that's beating up on SoCal. Cause I yeah. love, I love Southern California. Yeah. Um, I go back a lot. I still have a lot of good friends there. Like my motorcycle club is still there. I go back frequently, uh, to do events with them. And like Pasadena is mm-hmm. my home, you know, and it'll always, it'll always sort of feel like that. But, this is, I mean, this is where I want to live right now. I can't, it, I mean, I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a great place to be. And, you know, I mean, listen, my perspective now, I'm a 46 year old guy with a four year old, you know, and so I'm not going out to bars every night and that's not my scene anymore. But, um, 
even if that's what you want to do, this is still a great yeah, place. This is still that. a great place to be. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I think there's kind of something for everyone. And I think a lot of a lot of people have miscon misconceptions about the South and how people are here. Yeah. But I the one thing I will say, like, yeah, politically, maybe there's a lot there's people that I don't agree with. But even even there, I, I felt living in California and I don't want to dig into politics. Sure. I know this isn't yeah. necessarily the format, but like you get stuck in this kind of, regardless of what way of thinking you kind of gear yourself towards yeah. this, this liberal bubble, you know, yeah. and you get used to that. And, but that's not how everybody thinks. Sure. And at least out here, you kind of know what people think. Yeah. But as, as far as day-to-day -day interactions with people, I, I mean, it is, I've, is unbelievable how friendly people are here I agree, and yeah. how neighborly and i mean our neighbors no joke like bake us pies and bring them over and leave them on our doorstep yeah that's the kind of relationship we have with yeah. them uh this is the type of place that if you break down on the side of the road people stop to help you mm -hmm. um that's what i've experienced i absolutely love it here yeah you know yeah. that's been my biggest so you know, my wife and i have at different periods have talked about very aggressively coming out here. And, uh, and uh, I mean, I'm the one that's constantly holding sure. us back. She, she would, if I came home and was like, let's load it. She'd be like, let's go. Like wow. there's no doubt. And we're finally, our business is finally getting to a spot to make it easier to do that. Um, so we've been talking about it more and more, but it's hard. Cause, and I, I feel like this thing, I constantly battle this thing of like re already regretting that I didn't already do it. And, uh, but also like this, I have this constant fear because I have my, my hands on all these things out there that I feel like are, and they're not really anything that is of any great significance, but they're just things that I enjoy or they're in, and they're in circles that I enjoy and yeah. being known, you know, living in the same neighborhood that I essentially grew up in and all those things. And, uh, but every time I come out here, it's the same, like, well, I'll go down and go see my buddy play and I'll be walking there and I'll run into like someone I met two years ago when I was here. And they're like, no way. Like, are you here now? Like, why aren't you here? Or like, why aren't you here yet? Yeah. Or, yeah. you know, all those things. And it's like, it's this constant thing. And so by the time I go home, I come home like, all right, let's start looking. <laughs> you know? Well, but, yeah, there, there's always a little bit of that fear. Yeah. You know, when you when you do what we do and you're kind yeah. of, you establish yourself somewhere. You're like, God, it's like starting over. Yeah. You know? But I realized that, that, it didn't feel that way to me here. Now, yeah. I had a little bit of a leg up. Sure. I had a lot of friends here. I was already working on big, arguably the biggest records that were coming out of yeah. this town. Yeah. So it, maybe it was kind of easier for me. Sure. But I think that the people in the music industry here are pretty friendly, yeah. pretty open-minded, and willing to help other people that are like-minded that are yeah. friendly and genuine and um dedicated to mm -hmm. this craft and i i it's different in la yeah it is yeah and i'm not I, I hate to preface this by saying that i'm not ripping on la but <laughs> la is insanely competitive yeah and you know filled with a lot of people that like to talk a lot of shit behind people's backs and then act like they're best friends in front of them. Right. And that's just sort of the way LA is. And I feel like 
you know, and believe me, I'm no Nashville insider by any means. I've been here for three years, mm-hmm. but I, my perspective and, you know, sort of the opinions I've developed of this town is that it's, it, it's, it's welcoming at the same time though, people here don't deal with that bullshit. Yeah. They will easily just tell you to fuck off and chase you out of town. Yeah. And that's, that's a vibe I kind of like. I love that. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. It's like, it's like, hey, if you're a good, genuine person, and then you're in. But if yeah. you know, it doesn't matter if you're the best guitar player, musician, engineer, mastering engineer in the world. If you're a dick, you're out. Yeah. And that's my motto for everything in life. You know, like I don't, like I don't care how good you are, how good you are at your job, but if you're not a person I want to deal with, I'm not going to deal with you regardless. Right. Yeah. You know? But I, I so I appreciate that about Nashville. Yeah. But you know, it, as a you know, I know you're a small business owner. It's a it like so much easier to run a business here than in <laughs> it's California. So hard, California. They make it almost impossible. Uh, yeah. Almost impossible. Yeah. It's pretty bad. It, yeah. it, it's a it's a bummer, especially right now. It's been it's I'm been sorry, a whole another whole another world. I I know. Yeah. Like but. I know it's got to be hard for you guys too. I mean, are you just are you just now like like no retail now? Well, or what? I mean, we've had it pretty good in the sense that so we had a retail, a coffee and tea shop, yeah. a retail space that we actually just over a year ago had sold, um, and then we had transitioned to doing more online. Uh, granted, we were still at the infant stage of that when uh, all this happened, essentially. But we had just started working with a marketing team. So we were able to pivot that, and then a, a, a huge part of our income, though, was also like farmers markets, mm-hmm. which in the beginning stages of all this were completely everything was closed down. So like they were just basically frantically just it didn't matter what it was. And then slowly things like they realized that like well going to farmers markets like going to the grocery store probably better because it's outside. Yep. Um, and so they were able to do that. So we were able to come back to some degree, um, to that. And then we were kind of back in full swing, and then everything as of today as we were back on like a three-week uh quarantine um it's not it's not going to quite be like it was last time they definitely honed it in more to more specific things and yeah uh, yeah i mean and honestly there's like a a large parts of different counties that have kind of like sheriff's departments have basically come out and said like we're not enforcing we're not going to like we're gonna do what we kept doing and, and as long as people are doing what they really should be doing you know like you know so it's kind of weird i don't so i don't even i don't know when i'm coming i don't even know if i can come home tomorrow yeah (laughs) so we'll we'll see but um but we've been we've been pretty fortunate and um and and we have a lot of friends who've you know because obviously when you're in that world you just know so many other people that have are in that world too and and i feel so much for so many people who've you know spent their dedicated their lives to building a business and it's already hardened somewhere like there between the taxes and all the regulations and things and uh, the stuff's going on. It's been a unique, it's been a unique year. Yeah. At least, but it has been for everyone. So it's like, yeah, yeah. it's, it's interesting. We're all kind of in the, in a similar boat. Yeah. But yeah. 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 I mean, I, uh, that's been one of the biggest advantages, you know, for the business. I mean, we still have a location Mm -hmm. in California, but that's not where, um infrasonic is yeah headquartered yeah uh technically we're headquartered in wyoming 
Solid. Yeah. Solid move. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be looking into that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah, it's just it's just way easier yeah. to, to do business here. And, I mean, frankly, the funny thing is Tennessee is not necessarily, like, like known for, you know, being being super um open armed for small businesses. Yeah. But considering how bad California is, yeah. that anything's better. Yeah. You know? Which is funny is because it's like California I can't remember what the statistic is, but it's like a very large statistic are all like essentially entrepreneurs and self employed and it's and it's interesting that you have a state that is so full of that that like demographically, yet it is one of the most difficult places to, to do it. But yeah. a lot of it has to do with market. Like it just yeah. is a marketplace. Like it's sunny. You know, it's today. You know, at noon it was thirty-eight degrees here. Yeah, and I at, know. At home it was seventy-five. That, and that's the thing. It's like there's a. I mean, there's a reason I lived in California for twenty yeah. years. Yeah. The weather. The weather is amazing, and there are things. There are definitely things I miss. Yeah. I mean, you know, as a, I'm a motorcycle guy. Yeah. It's really hard to go from being a guy in a motorcycle club riding every fucking day. Yeah to not riding every day right that's yeah. that's been the biggest adjustment but as far as i'm concerned that's a small sacrifice yeah. to live here and you know overall quality of life oh yeah i mean i i live about 30 miles south of here in an mm -hmm. area called brentwood mm -hmm. and it's beautiful and we went from a tiny house in sunland on like a less than five thousand square foot lot probably yeah. to five and a half acres wow. like a big log home with a massive garage uh, got yeah. my cars and four motorcycles yeah. in there and an office and I've got a pool oh, every morning I wake up and there's deer and turkey in my front yard. Yeah. Uh, my driveway is as long as the entire street I lived on oh, in my California. God. Yeah. And that was all for the yeah. same price. I sold my house in California for half a million dollars and bought this place. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. It's nuts. Yeah. You know, well, even saying that, you know, like, you know, driving, I was driving into here today and like you guys here is so cool. I love it's like it's it's just a hidden house. Yep, yeah, it's just yeah. Like there's no sign. There's yeah. no nothing like at, like if you drove by, you would like have zero idea. Yeah. Like from the outside, it could almost look like it was like a sober living home. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the opposite of that here. Yeah, yeah. I know. Which yeah. is crazy because it's like because it was just because the way the car, you know, yeah. stuff like that. It's just one of those where. It was super funny, but you, you roll up and it's like this gore, but this is a drive here. You know, as I was driving here, I was like, man, it's like, this is such a gorgeous area and just driving, you know, and the way the houses are all set up and it's, you know, well, one, there's a season, you don't get yeah. any season at home. So it's like, no, it's I mean, we, we can, like this house is great. So this, the facility I'm in, I share with one of my good friends, uh, a producer named Reed Shippen, who does a lot of really big records great guy and um one of my favorite people in the world but i i moved he's been in this house for he owns this this house for really? probably at least 15 years yeah. and so he's got a big ssl room right on the other side of this place and you know total uh complete build out and then we moved in and took over the back mm. portion of the house and it's been great because I love it. Every day I can work on a record and I get tired. I w walk out of the doors into a private backyard and a private deck in a nice area. And 
I've got a Whole Foods half a, like a block from here, and I've yeah. got a Trader Joe's and good restaurants, but yet it's kind of secluded. Yeah. But it, it's a funny scene here sometimes, man, because like, I mean, there, you know, one time last year we're like, I walk into the kitchen, I'm like, there's Sturgill and Kenny Chesney both like waiting to get coffee. <laughs> oh my God. And that's like the type of scene that happens here in the kitchen. <laughs> that's like the craziest It's just duo awesome. To but great. Like, yeah. It's like, and they're both super cool. Yeah. You know, Kenny works a lot with uh, Reed. Super, yeah. super nice dude. And, you know, it's really, it's, it's just a funny thing where it's like this weird house in Green Hills. Yeah. And there's always just so cool. funny stuff going on here. Not yeah. so much with COVID, but uh, yeah, yeah. But you know, it's a it's a really creative place to do music, yeah. and it's great for Infrasonic to to share a facility with a producer because it's just fun. It's just more energy. Yeah. Like you know, I go over there and bounce ideas off Reed, and he comes over here and we talk about stuff and yeah. what's working, what's not working, and it's just a real creative creative zone. Yeah. And you know, no one lives here. So right. it's just been a it's been a studio for 18 years. But that's how that was one of the things that I had to get used to in Nashville. This is how a lot of the studios are. In yeah, Nashville. I was blown like, away. Like you've by been that. to Sputnik. Yeah, Sputnik. It's like it's it's an old house. <laughs> it's so crazy. It's a but it's a gr- it's an unbelievable studio. Right. With like two great recording facilities inside. Yeah. And that's how a lot of those places are over in Berry Hill. And I love that vibe. <clears throat> From when my when my ex-partner with Infrasonic, a guy named Jer- Jeff Ehrenberg, who I'm still re- still really close with, uh, when we started this business and we built our first recording studio, you know, he came from a kind of punk rock background yeah. too. And our philosophy was we want to build a studio that people want to make music in. Not that, not like that looks like a chiropractor's office where they're worried about how much money they're spending oh, every yeah. second, you know? Yeah. And, that's one of the things I appreciated about Nashville Yeah, is you go into these studios and even, even the really expensive ones, like most of them, like they feel homey. Mm-hmm. There's like a, you feel like you can kind of relax there. And I think that's a really important element to making music. Yeah. So when I built this place, the room we're in now, I mean, I needed it to do what I needed to do, but I also want a big comfy couch and yeah. nice lighting. And I mean, I'm a total geek about the hue lights and all the yeah. crazy shit. It's yeah. bright now, but I like atmosphere and I like mm-hmm. a vibe and it's important for me for it to be a place where people can relax. Uh, um, yeah. that's just as important as the acoustics. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I mean, you definitely feel that when you walk into like, you know, here in Vance's spot and you do, and you and like, you're walking up to a house and that instantly does something mentally. that's different than I pulled up in a business park. Yeah. You know, and it, and, uh, it's a different vibe. It's dope. I love it. Yeah. yeah. It's, that's actually one of my favorite things about the community here. Yeah. You know, there's it's, a lot of hidden studios. Yeah. And like you, you mentioned too, like with like five, like working with that, that's the other thing I learned too is all the people I've met are all like that, where it's like, it's a community. Everyone's kind of works with each other and it's all that thing where, where even on a business side, like that's obviously a great ben- benefit for business. Yeah. You know, to have be sending each other people and stuff like that. But just, but that's secondary as, 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 as people just are excited just to work and be friends with all these people and, and do all that. And, I think the attitude in this town too is everyone's like, Hey, there's more than enough work. Let's all be friends. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't feel, I, I feel like I'm, you know, I'm super friendly with the folks over at Sterling. I mm-hmm. mean, Ryan and Ted and all those guys are awesome. Yeah. You know, uh, I mean, actually we're, you know, we're friends. I would like, to, I'd like to think that we're friends with most of the mastering engineers in town and yeah. in general. And I, I, 
I always felt like there's so much cool stuff going on. Uh, and, and we make a point here and one, you know, and maybe this is just the punk rock knucklehead in me that, you know, forces this, but I don't, we don't ever undercut other engineers. Like if an artist wants to work with me, like I want them to want to work with me. Like mm-hmm. I'm not gonna, not gonna undercut, I'm not going to undercut some other mastering engineer just to steal their client. That's right. not the way I work. Yeah. And I, that's why I have rates and my rates are my rates. Mm-hmm. And occasionally like I, I try to have a little bit of flexibility, but uh, there's so many people doing, doing great work and I'm not about that. Like I don't want to be that, that shop. Yeah, you know? absolutely. There's too much cool shit and there's a lot of great engineers. Yeah. And it's like no reason we all can't be friends. We're all doing cool shit. Yeah. Let's just keep doing it. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't want to take up all your time. I know you got family to get home too. I know it's into your day. Yeah. <laughs> We're good. It's still it's still early for me. I'm normally yeah. working another hour. So I gotta... <laughs> but man, yeah, I, man, I really appreciate you having me in. And uh, I mean, I love being able just to stop by. I was like one of those things where I thought about it. Uh, I would have hit tried to hit you up earlier to try and plan better, but I was I already had the trip planned, and I was like, dude, I should just hit him up and see if he'd be down. So no, it, I mean, it's yeah. it was kind of hilariously perfect timing because yeah. I had been like, I was like, oh shit, Shane's doing this this dolly world thing like yeah. this is really cool and then you hit me up like yeah fuck yeah of course i'd love to do it this yeah. is great hell yeah yeah it's awesome man thanks for uh thanks for schlepping out here and, and yeah. doing this and this is awesome yeah i'm stoked to be involved yeah cool yeah. man appreciate it cool yeah all right yeah.